All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Anniverse Network podcast. This is your one-stop shop for everything nature-related. We have it all here for you, whether it's animals, whether it's trees, whether it's career field, you will find it here. All right. And today I'm happy to have a special guest with us. All right. Today we have Jenna Valente. Said that correct? You did. Thank you. So we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're grateful to have Jenna Valente, a director of advocacy for the Healthy Ocean Coalition, host of the Sea Change podcast, a photographer and a poet. I want to thank you for joining us today, Jenna, and welcome to the Anniverse Network podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise. So, of course, being on the Anniversary Network podcast, we want to talk about nature, of course. We love nature. <laughs> so with that said, I just want to ask you, how was nature in your childhood? Were you always around it? Yeah, so I feel incredibly fortunate um, to have had a childhood that was filled with being outside and being encouraged to be outside. Um, so a little bit of backstory, my father was in the Coast Guard. So um, actually where I was born looks very much like what your background looks like. Um, I, I, My brother and I were both born on the island of Oahu in, in Honolulu, Hawaii. And so, um, you know, I feel like that was a dream place to be a child. My, all my early childhood memories involve, you know, running around barefoot, just outdoors, exploring like the toads and geckos and the beaches and all the fish there. So I think like there's a, there's a pretty early tell in, in terms of like maybe seeing how my life path led me to, to what I do now professionally um, is those like very early childhood memories were um, formed in nature. And then from there, you know, I think part of being in a military family includes moving a lot. So we used to move every three years and they would be these big moves to total different geographies of the United States. So, you know, I've lived in the Pacific Northwest. We lived in Hawaii twice. We lived in Maine twice. And um, every single place that we set down some roots, I feel like, you know, now when I reflect back on it, I'm, I just feel really grateful because I've, I've been able to live in some of the most beautiful pieces of nature and places in, in the entire world, let alone the country. And, um, you know, my, my parents were very much, um, adventurous people and they appreciate time spent in nature. So I feel like if, if it, what, you know, we, we would either go outside and do things with them. Or once my brother and I, and our friends were at an age where you could trust us outside on our own, um, without somebody watching us, then it was sort of like, get out of here, you know, come back at dinner type of childhood for me. <laughs> wow. I, I love it. I love the involvement and it's, it's kind of like the, the usefulness right of being in nature it's kind of like you, you let your imagination kind of soar and, oh you know, yeah I mean I feel like there there we used to there was so much play that happened and like you like you said like using our imaginations and pretending that we were all different types of people in all different types of situations and we were like out there surviving and um I think that nature and my upbringing and childhood were just so closely intertwined for sure. Absolutely. So then it goes to my next question is, as you continue to grow um, in your field and learn more, how is it that you really got into the conservation aspect? That's a really good question because I don't, I didn't, I just didn't take a typical path in terms of you know, having this foresight of, oh, I want to, I want to work in 
in conservation policy. Like I didn't even know that that was a job that I could have until I had it basically like, um, growing up, I think that I was somebody that was very curious about a lot of different things, was interested in getting a lot of different experiences, but I didn't have that like laser focus of really like knowing what I wanted to do. And I think in that time, I viewed that as, you know, I think that was a really stressful thing for me. I think that that really like played with my own self-worth and my own self-confidence. But then when I look back on it now, I'm like, that was such a strength because it led me to exactly where I needed to be and where I am now, which is um, doing ocean advocacy work and community building. But uh, the way that I got into conservation really was um, there was this job that I took in college. I, during the summers, I worked on a, a farm doing landscaping work. But their mission was all about connecting the community with the land and teaching um, all different types of courses on how to steward the land. It was basically like as close to an organic farm as you could get without going through the whole, you know, expensive process and paperwork process of being labeled organic. And you know, I I think pairing that experience with loving being outside started getting the wheels turning for me about, oh, okay. Like I, I can get paid to do things that are outside and it still didn't fully, I guess, click at that, at that point. Um, I, I finished out my, my undergraduate degree. I, I changed majors so many times. Cause again, I feel like I just had no idea what I was doing. I think I was one of those people that, um, you know, I went to college because that was what was expected of me and um, could have benefited from probably taking some time to figure out what I was actually interested in. But, um, you know, I, I pushed through, I did it, I got my degree, but I ended up getting my degree in communication and journalism because I've, um, I've always liked writing and I love communicating. I think communication is incredibly important. And so the way that I viewed my future was, okay, well, when I figure out what I want to do, everybody needs solid communicators. So then I can, I can learn whatever skills or information that I don't have yet and apply this skill set to that. So, um, from there, you know, I, I took a, a job in a healthcare company, um, working with folks on Medicare and Medicaid. And this is where I think one of the most important lessons came up for me, which is learning what you don't want to do. <laughs> um, because I was absolutely miserable and that's no shade on the people that love working in that field. It just was not right for me. Um, I was in like a windowless room in a cubicle on the phone all day, which is like, so it literally just kind of felt like um, my soul was <laughs> like being sucked out of my body. I was so, so miserable. And then at the same time, um, I was going through a really um, not great relationship, um, just like content warning. And I won't get into it, but it it was like a domestic violence situation. And so this is like another, I like, I feel like I keep coming to these points of like, oh, here's where I learned this important lesson and here's this next lesson. But um, I think the universe really tries to lead people to their true purpose and where they need to be in the path that they need to be on. And if they're not, listening and they're not like going there on their own. Sometimes I think that it will give you like a nudge in whatever direction. And for me, it was me hitting this really low point of having just a lot of things going on in my life that were not feeding me in any way, shape or form. Um, and were draining me of my energy, my happiness, all of it. And I just hit this moment where I was like, you're too young to be this unhappy. You need to take control of your own future. 
And so I started looking around for opportunities to just make a complete, total different career change and also get myself out of Maine where I was living at the time. And uh, I found this series of internships at a wildlife refuge in Virginia called Chincoteague National Wildlife Refuge. And I, it was like, I kind of threw a little Hail Mary pass in terms of applying because um, I really didn't know much about it. I had never lived in that region. They were hiring for um, both communication positions and biology positions. And I, of course, applied for the communications position. I didn't get it. But what I didn't realize is there was like this bigger plan going on behind the scenes where the refuge was having problems with um, relationship building with the community around the refuge, because when they find like endangered and, and threatened shorebirds on the beaches, they have to close the beach down. And there's a bunch of people that that upsets. So what they ended up doing is they saw that I had this communication background and they wanted somebody that they could then train in all things wildlife, like what everything that the wildlife refuge does, and then hire them on as a park ranger to build relationships with the community. And so they ended up hiring me on their biology team and having me spend an entire summer learning all of these different skills, working with the wildlife, doing the research. And then they hired me on as a park ranger. And so that whole experience was like this door opened for me to enter this conservation space. And once I was there, I was like, I can't get enough of this. I, I have found the path that I, I need to be on and let's figure out how to stay here and how to keep growing. And ever since then, it's just been like, it feels like everything is kind of falling into place about where my career path has gone since then. And I know I've been talking for a really long time, but I'll pause there. It's a conversation. So I'll stop it and we can get into more of it. If you're curious to hear more about um, what happened after that, but to answer your question about kind of how I got into the conservation field, um, it was not a straight line. It involved a lot of ups and downs. Um, and I think, it's just important to be honest about that. And I try to be really honest about that um, for anybody else that might be listening that is in a similar situation. Um, you don't have to have it all figured out and you really can um, turn things around if you're, if you're not in a, a great situation. Absolutely. That's powerful. You said that because it, it sounds like each kind of event that you had led you to where you are today. Yeah, and, you know, totally. And I'm great. You know, I, I'm grateful for all of them as strange as that might sound. Cause I know some of them are not pleasant and quite traumatic, but it's like, if those things did not happen, I would not be where I am today. Absolutely. So it it's like, I know a lot of people, like you said, are, are kind of rushed into college and things like that, not having a clue kind of what to do. And I really like how you highlight it. It's important to realize what you don't want to do, right, before you find what you want to do, um, because it, it's kind of like it may not be a good idea to, you know, go through something for so many years to prepare for, and then you actually get to it. And it's, you know, it's not something you want to do, right? So it's like, it's almost like um, you put yourself in a situation, right? And, and you don't know how to get out. So it's kind of, um, I think, I, I really like the point that you made with finding out what you don't want to do. And I think like um, a lot of students, you know, should it, it get that message and anyone in those regards, because you uh, even like without school, right? If folks that don't doesn't go to school, I feel like they can still learn from, you know, what they want to do by not knowing what they want to do. 
Totally. And just because you go to college does not and have a degree does not make you smart. Like I'll say that for people that, you know what I mean? Like for people that don't haven't gone to college and maybe are like, well, I have no business being in this space or applying for this. That's not how education really works. It's, you know, a lot of people go to school because they're told that that's the path that they need to take. And then they rack up a whole boatload of debt and still don't know what they want to do. <laughs> so I think that is such an important takeaway from this conversation is your life path is your own. And you're going to be told by so many different people that you should be this or you should do that. But you need to really like make sure you're checking in with yourself and following that like I pointing I'm putting like at my solar plexus because that's where I feel it is like what is what is your gut telling you what's your intuition telling you is it right for you do you need to take some time before you commit to college um you know I also think the other thing because we're talking about like higher education is um you know I think for me, I kind of have this like bigger understanding and this kind of, uh, I've, I've been learning a lot about myself recently. Um, and part of that is realizing as an adult that I've had ADHD my whole life. Um, and it's shown up in the way that I, I guess I show up as a student. So my undergrad, it was like, I either thrived in classes that I was interested in, or I was like, getting terrible grades in the ones that I didn't like. But then when it came to grad school, because I chose a, a subject that I couldn't get enough of, graduated with a 4.0. So it's like, I think there's also a piece of it. It's like understanding and doing like self-exploration to learn not only like what you're interested in, but like, how do you learn best? Absolutely. So, and then with that, with the Healthy Healthy Ocean Coalition, for those that haven't heard it for the first time, you know this is something that going through uh, your path, you figured out that you love to do. So, can you tell the viewers exactly what that is? Yeah. So, the Healthy Ocean Coalition is a national and scope community of ocean lovers. So people from just individuals that really care about the coast and climate and environmental justice all the way up to, um, you know, large and small uh, environmental nonprofit organizations, business owners, students, scientists. We really try to create and foster this welcoming space for people to come and meet other advocates and learn about what is going on in terms of like ocean health and ocean policy. So we take a, a, a policy focus. So part of it is this community building piece that I think has been kind of a common theme in my life, like really enjoying bringing people together and working together because we're stronger together and there's so much that we can learn from each other. Um, and especially when you think about something like the climate crisis, no one's going to fix that alone. So it's like this constant reminder for myself anyway, like just re revisiting that and then trying to bring more and more people in that are both being impacted by the climate crisis, which is everybody. Um, and people who have different sets of expertise and lived experiences to bring to the table. And then there's a policy focus because we were founded around sort of this frustration that it shouldn't be that difficult to build a meaningful relationship with your member of Congress or anybody that sits in a position of power and is making decisions about your life or decisions that will impact you. And so let's build this community. Let's meet everybody where they're at. So depends like the, our approach to how we interact with everyone in our community, which is now over 300 people from every region of the U S and some of the territories. Um, 
we, we really like genuinely care about everybody that we work with to the point of like really trying to figure out like, where is everyone? What do they need from us? How can we best support them? Like we have some folks who are brand new to this space. So maybe they need that like foundation built a little bit stronger. Others are like, I've been working in conservation for 50 years and I probably know more about it than you do. So, okay. So how do we, how do we meet that person where they're at? And then how do we bring everybody together so that we're all sharing information, um, supporting each other, lifting each other up, and then advocating for all of these different things that are either moving through Congress or not moving through Congress. Um, we also host advocacy trainings a couple times a year for people that um, maybe they're feeling energized to go in and and meet with their member of Congress or somebody that works on their, um, you know, like school board or city council, or it doesn't have to necessarily be somebody that's in DC could be a state legislator. Um, yeah, but they're like, Oh, I want to practice these skills. So we host trainings where any, you know, we, we bring together, uh, like 15 to 20 advocates every time we do these, cause we like to create a small community within those trainings, um, to allow for people to build relationships with each other. And then we'll walk through like advocacy 101 and the skills that we're teaching there. Yeah, they're framed under ocean and climate, but they're really skills you can take anywhere in your life and just be a more vocal, confident advocate. Um, and I know like that that's how we we started building our relationship is you attended one of those trainings. You're a Healthy Ocean Coalition member. But yeah, it, it really is just it's all about empowerment and it's about supporting each other and building community and, um, advocating for environmental health and justice. And, um, occasionally we'll, we'll go to DC and actually meet with our members. So yeah, it's a, it's a really great group. And I think it really brings together all of these different skill sets that I thought was like, were like disjointed when I was, building them. And now they're all sort of coming together in this position that I have now, which I, I am so passionate about and really, really love. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a lovely collective, right? A community of like-minded individuals, right? That have the same goal in protecting the nature, right? The natural world of the ocean in this regards. So a lot of people when they think of nature, they don't necessarily think of the legislation part, right? And, you know, without people realizing is, this is a way for us to protect a lot of areas, right? Because if they don't have that legislative protection, then it may be a lot harder to keep those lands safe, whether we're protecting endangered species, um, other fauna, things of that nature. So it's, what would kind of be your advice to someone that doesn't really think of legislation being a part of nature, right? What would you tell them that an important aspect of it is, right, to really have this, right, as far as conservation? Or yeah. to be aware of it? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I feel really well positioned to to address it too, because I was not someone who cared about policy or legislation for a long time. I didn't make that connection um, really until I, the job I got after the wildlife refuge was working at the Chesapeake Bay program in Annapolis, Maryland. And they're a big research and policymaking government like collective. And it was through my time there that I really got to see how policies made and learn about why policy is important. And it was like, once I had my eyes open to that, I was like, wow, this actually is not boring. Um, even though it definitely can sound boring. Like if you're talking to someone about policy, I feel like it's like my eyes glaze over, but that's where the importance of like what we do with the healthy ocean coalition is making these connections about like 
how does this policy impact you? Because it is, I think really where this flame got ignited within me about like the advocacy side of policymaking is this realization that there are people out there in positions of power that are making decisions about you and making decisions that impact you. But a lot of time, like they're not consulting you. <laughs> and that is not right. That's not okay. And some of these decisions literally are like make or break for people's lives, people's livelihoods. And so I think being fueled by that, in addition to also, so that, yeah, they're making decisions about you and for you, they are getting paid with your money. <laughs> like, so I view it as like, we're their boss. And so we should act like it. And that's, that's kind of what we do through the healthy ocean coalition is like in a lot of, that's what advocates do when they're interacting with Congress and with people in positions of power, especially elected officials. And I mean, I'm not going to get into a whole rabbit hole about um, like campaign finance reform. Cause I'm sure someone might be listening to this and they're like, well, yeah, our taxes pay them, but really they're making decisions based off of their big donors, which, you know, that is a reality. And that is something that needs more advocates around and legislation to be passed around um, so that we don't have like corporations running our country, which basically is what it feels like is happening right now. When you think about like big oil, big pharma, the NRA, people who have like billions of dollars to throw into having people staff that their whole job is to influence legislation and, you know, get people elected or not. But at the end of the day, your tax dollars are paying these people that are in Congress or your state legislature. Um, so they need to be listening to you, whether they, I know that some people live in places where their members are a lot more likely to listen to them and take meetings and hear them out than others. But even the ones that are not responding or not necessarily friendly or interested in your causes, it doesn't really, that's, that's kind of too bad for them. Like, that's where you like, I know it's uncomfortable and confrontation is hard, but it's like, you got to keep pushing and like, make them listen to you. So like that, I think, for folks that are like, why is legislation important? I think that's a huge piece of it is these people literally work for you. So like, if you want them to be doing more in terms of climate, then tell them you are allowed to reach out to them. You're allowed to call them. You're allowed to request meetings and they need to be taking them. So then there's the other piece of legislation is there needs to be some sort of enforcement, right? So like if you're protecting lands and uh, wildlife and places or trying to hold polluters accountable, that's where legislation comes in because that gives then people the legal right to do that. Um, so then, I mean, I'm, I feel like I can like keep going and going and going, but like, so then that's where like, we do a lot of advocacy, uh, advocacy around like the budget whenever the federal government is trying to like fund different pieces of itself every year. We get involved in that conversation because if you don't have funding and resources to actually implement the legislation or policy, then it's just a piece of paper. So like all of this stuff is interconnected, but yeah, their policy and legislation is very, very important. And it's something that I was not always interested in until I kind of had these realizations. And now I'm like, I feel like very empowered and just want to make sure that the people that are making decisions about me and my family and my community, uh, are doing it in the most well-informed and well-intentioned manner possible absolutely so it's like would you say without policy protecting these lands aren't possible 
well, I think that there, there are certainly ways to protect places um, without policy. Cause if you think back to like indigenous land management, I, you know, I think that there, if we lived in a culture that really was connected to nature, like in the way that in indigenous cultures are and managed lands in that way. And like, you know, they kind of like, they act right. Like for like the, like, right. the, the exactly. so like short way to say that, then yeah, I think that you could live in a place where you don't necessarily like have a past piece of legislation or policy to make sure that things are happening the way that they need to and the land and water and animals are all respected. Um, and the people, you know, were, were using resources in a respectful and regenerative way, but that is not the world that we live in, at least in the United States. So in, I feel like in terms of like in this moment right now, yes, that is why policy is very important because it's going to force people and companies to actually act or clean up their act um, who otherwise wouldn't. And they would just keep taking and using and, you know, harming and exploiting. Exactly. That was a powerful description there because it would be wonderful if, you know, we live like many indigenous, um, you know, people, our tribes, how they respect nature around them, right? So, but like you said, in our situation here, without the legal policies, it's kind of like many people don't view nature the same way that we are, many other nature lovers do, right? So it's kind of like to reach that atmosphere or that aspect there has to be a way of really connecting with them, right? In a language that is understood, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, that's the importance of legislation. And I'm yeah. thankful that you brought it up in, in that aspect to help people realize because had it not been for the program, uh, I wouldn't have a clue about, you know, the ins and outs about the legislative process. So I'm really grateful that you all actually showed us that. So, yes, I mean, that's what we're here for, honestly. And there's like another piece of it that's like, in order to like break the system, you need to know how it works first. So like, I feel like that's part of what we do too, is like equipping more people with that knowledge of where are these levers that I can pull and, and like push on and um, really like put some pressure on to, to make change. Yeah. And also, like I said, like, it's okay to reach out to, you know, Congress or legislation, right, through letters or, you know, even a phone call you could try to get through. You know, it's okay to do these things, right? It's not some taboo or, you know, nothing illegal. Like, as you said, this is why they're there, right? So uh, possibly the more awareness that they have of how people feel, about the nature or these land areas or the ocean in this situation, then the more that they'll pay attention. Yeah. And I think that like, like a lot of institutions, like our government is set up in a way that feels very like inaccessible, oppressive, intimidating, and that's on purpose. And so like, I understand. And I've been through it. Like when I first started doing this advocacy work, I feel like I would have like panic attacks before reaching out to offices or going into offices and meeting with members of Congress or their staff, because you're in this big place in Congress. And like, it's just, it, it's easy to kind of psych yourself out about it. Just like anything else that's scary though, like public speaking or standing up for yourself or like setting boundaries, the more you do it, the less scary it gets. And so you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be an expert in the policy or the issue. 
You just need to be somebody that cares and somebody that has a life story and someone that wants your member of Congress to do something. That is all it takes. And from there, all you have to do is send an email or call their office or join the Healthy Ocean Coalition and we can help you out and like get you into these meetings. You can also get yourself into meetings. You don't need us to do it, but we're happy to help do it. Um, and just like, it's kind of thrilling to go in there and be like, yeah, my voice matters. <laughs> Absolutely. And for the viewers <laughs> and for the viewers, we're actually, there, there'll be a way for you to connect if you want with the healthy ocean coalition of those that want to get involved as well. I'll learn more. Uh, that aspect will be available just so the viewers know. Um, so, so with that said, like the more that we learn about these things and nature in general, where do you see nature education overall in the next five to 10 years? Uh, that, that's also, I feel like I keep being like, great question. Great question. So many good questions. Um, you know, I think that all depends on where I feel like where people live, whether it's in the United States or abroad, like outside of the U.S. And I say that because, you know, we have states and municipalities and school boards that are right now that are actively excluding textbooks that teach you about climate change and climate science and excluding that from your curriculum uh, among other things, I mean, you know, not teaching our actuals country history, like making sure that everybody gets like the whitewash version of it. And so I think like there's that issue that's happening, but then there are other states that are like leaders on this. So I think that, you know, I'm not really sure where, <laughs> where the state of nature education will be in the next five to 10 years. But I can say that I hope that it's much more um, widely taught, widely understood, widely connected, not as politicized as it's become. And I think that I think another good thing would be to make sure that all students are getting not only like climate and environmental education, but in a way where they're like actually connecting with the resource or actually connecting with nature. So getting away from screens and spending time outside, whether it's just like in a playground, like, you know, if kids are in cities, they can still connect with nature by spending time outside. So I feel like there are ways to do this no matter where you are. So I feel like that's a hope of mine is that it's just more like widely accepted and included in, in school curriculums and um, students are a lot more encouraged to get outside and connect with nature and spend time in nature. Um, and then also putting emphasis on like the intersectionality of everything. So how interconnected everything is and like everything that we do in our lives is going to have this like ripple effect that impacts so many other things. And I think in terms of like climate and environmental um, education, that is like a huge piece of it is it's like, that doesn't just exist in a silo, like somebody that lives in the middle of the country still is impacted by the ocean and, and vice versa. So I think just making sure that, you know, it's, it's, something that is more accessible to people like uh more accepted more interconnected um yeah i just would love to see it be a little more front and center and and taken out of politics because it's ridiculous absolutely and one thing that i thought was powerful was like as I got older and, you know, I had my ins and outs of college and things like that. But when I actually got back in, there was so many programs, right, involved with nature that I had no idea about, right? When I was a kid, you know, um, a teenager, things like that. So it's like, unless you actually 
kind of, I guess, if you know someone that's in the field, these things aren't like, hey, here we go. You know, it's kind of like, you know, in college, there's a bulletin board and here's all the different, you know, activities and things that you can be involved in. Whereas, you know, I don't remember seeing those in grade school, you know, so uh, I really think like more programs that can be like readily accessible, you know, the kids at large, you know, will really help, um, you know, push the nature of education because, you know, as you said, climate change and everything like it's going <laughs> to a critical mass, you know, type of situation. So, you know, the more we learn about it, you know, the earlier, you know, I feel like the better possibly. Oh, a hundred percent. It's like, it's like learning a language, basically. Like the earlier that it you're taught it, the, the more like just ingrained in like natural it is to really not even like think about it. It's just second nature. Like we are a part of this system and we need to respect it in order for us to thrive. And we need everybody. And no, like, no matter what your background is, your education or where you're from or anything like that, it's like, it just needs to be the norm is recognizing that we are part of this system and we need to take care of our home and we're not separate from it, even though we live in this society that's been created to make us feel like we're like above it or in control of it or like the apex and alpha. And it's like, we're finding out the hard way that that is not true. <laughs> exactly. And I like how you talk about the intersection between us and, and nature. So, you know, I know that you're an artist, right? And can you explain kind of the intersection between nature and art? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there, are, there's a lot, I feel like that I could say about the, just how interconnected and intertwined like nature is with art. I think that is at least for me, a deep place of inspiration. Um, it's a deep place of healing and I think when I think about like, when is, when am I at my most creative? When do I turn to art, whether it's my photography or my writing? Um, and when do I turn to nature? It's the same. It's like when I need of healing, when I'm in need of alone time, when I'm in need of checking in with myself and a little bit of solitude. I'm looking for clarity. I'm looking for a way to like make sense of the world. It's the same. Cause I feel like it, it. And so that, that to me, that recognition of both of these things are offering me this incredible service. Really. It just feels like they naturally fit. Um, so a lot of themes of nature come up in my work because I feel like the times that I'm creating are, I don't know. I just think that it's just very much, uh, it both are very powerful for me. Both are things that I need, um, in order to feel like I am my whole self. I also think, I mean, this is a look into my, my worldview just as a whole, is we live in like a moving art piece. Like every single day we wake up and yeah, maybe a lot of things look the same, but like, if you really are paying attention, it's completely different. And like, it's the way the sky moves and the water's moving and the air and the birds, it's never exactly the same. And I think it's such a gift for us just to be born onto this planet that looks like this and that takes care of us that we can even live on. And so, I mean, like, I feel like so many times throughout the day, I'm just like in awe of, <laughs> of exactly. our own existence, but like, 
taking a minute just to like appreciate whatever's in front of you. Like it is art. It really is. Um, so in that way, I feel like nature and art are one. Absolutely. You heard it, everyone. Moving art. You heard it from Jelena, Jenna herself. <laughs> <laughs> that was a beautiful analogy. Thank you. So here's a fun question for you. Do you have a favorite animal? Oh, man. I'm looking around because my my favorite animal is my dog. Okay. Uh, <laughs> or if not, if not top three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my dog, Jolene, is she's wonderful. I was looking because she was just up here but I don't know she won't she won't get on screen I guess but um so outside of her because I feel like that's the easy answer um oh that's a hard question because I love so many of them but uh my whole life like from the time I was a child to now I've I've just really loved otters I think otters are so freaking cute um, and like, I love their family units that they live in, um, sea otters, like they have their little, they use tools, like with their little pocket, they have a little pocket that they keep their favorite rock in that they'll like, um, open abalone with, they'll like hold hands when they're sleeping. So they don't drift away from each other. Like otters are the, they're so cute. I love them. Um, but yeah. And they're like playful and fun. Um, and then, I mean, I also really love birds. I know that that's kind of a cop out because it's like such a big, broad category, but I'm always like looking around for what birds are around me. I think that that's a great way to connect with nature. If you're in like a, a city environment, because they're pretty much always going to be birds around you. And I will say like, really take a minute. If you're, you live in a city look and admire and appreciate pigeons like they are really beautiful birds if you look at the like iridescent coloring on them they're kind of stunning and we I feel like they're just like this really underappreciated um like <laughs> animal because they're <laughs> they'll just think they're annoying and they like steal their food and stuff like that but like just take a minute to like really look at a pigeon they're gorgeous um <laughs> Yeah, but like, and they're some of the boldest birds. Like, I've been so I know, like, <laughs> like, and they have confidence, and um, they're really like, yeah. Shout out to pigeons, but yeah, it's just <laughs> I mean, I I guess like in terms of other birds, like I I love cardinals, I love loons, um, hawks. Like I see like there are hawks that live around my house that I like. I just can't believe the like aerodynamics of like it's wild and like I saw an owl today so that was a really cool moment um for the past few days I've been hearing an owl like late at night when I take my dog outside and I I've been like like hooting back and forth at it <laughs> and then today it showed itself to me and I was like <laughs> like wow. I'm making an owl friend it was very powerful um so yeah birds birds are great wow <laughs> shout out to the owl as well because that's the <laughs> rare sighting <laughs> yeah that it it is really rare I don't I like very very seldom do I see an owl around here I hear them sometimes but um yeah, that was a that was definitely a high point of my day is when I when I saw the owl. <laughs> for sure, for sure. All right, so kind of just in closing here, what message would you want our viewers to take with them along their journey? I think staying curious and never like losing your inner child is really important. Like listening to yourself following the things that interest you and working in your own timing i think that we live in i i feel like i've i've probably already said this during this episode but we live in a world that i think tries to like push us all in different 
directions that it doesn't necessarily always feel right. So I think allowing yourself that space to explore and find like what your true purpose and path and passion are is like the most important thing that you can do because then it's like you wake up every single day and you're not going to like work. You're like doing what you love. Feeling like you have a sense of purpose in life is life changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you belong. All of you belong. We need everybody in the climate space. We need everybody, no matter who you are, what you do, what your background is. Don't let people make you feel like you don't belong. Like if you're trying to advocate to a member of Congress or, um, you know, speaking to somebody that's been in this space forever or has like a higher degree than you, like we need everyone and the rest of the like socially constructed stuff can just like go away. Cause it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jenna, how can the viewers actually get into contact with you? Mm-hmm. What's the best way you think? Yeah. So there are a couple of ways. Um, Healthyoceancoalition.org is our website. That's where you can learn more about the organization, what we do. Um, My email address is Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A at healthyoceancoalition.org. And then you can find me on social media. I'm at Jenna Valente on Instagram. Those are probably the best ways to get in contact with me and then, um, learn more about like the oceany side of things. And then if you follow me on Instagram, I kind of post a whole bunch of stuff, but that's really like, that's kind of my photography photography's landing page. Um, Oh, I also have my own website. It's jennavalente.com. You can learn all about me there. Um, that would have been really funny if I didn't mention that. Um, But yeah, I'm easy to find. Okay, so, and, and viewers, I'll be sure to have that in the description, so it'll be um, also a way for you to just simply check it out and uh, connect with Jenna. She's doing some wonderful things in the space, and I'm really grateful that she spent her time here with us today, brought us some amazing knowledge, some things to think about, and uh, let's continue to learn more about nature, right, and the importance of it because we live around it every day, whether we realize it or not. All right. So with that said, I want to thank Jenna again for being a special guest on the show today. And uh, thank everyone around the world for viewing. And with that said, everyone have a wonderful day. Peace and love.